0: Welcome to the Diversity, Inclusion, and Belongings podcast, Why Language Matters. This podcast is meant to explore words, their meaning, and how we can use language to be inclusive. In today's episode, we discuss microaggressions in the Asian community. This topic has always been relevant and important, but with the uptick in recent anti-AAPI, Asian American and Pacific Islander community hate incidents, over the last year alone, we wanted to discuss further the microaggressions within the community. So we have a great group of panelists and
1: I'd like to introduce them. Hi, I'm Hilary prompong My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am first-generation Taiwanese-American, and I'm based out of Los Angeles, California.
2: Hey, everyone. My name is Natalie Zhang, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I was born, raised, and I'm still based in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm the first generation American born Chinese in my family.
3: Hi, my name is Ricky Dutt. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm currently located in Utah, but I'm from the Bay Area. I am first generation born Indo-Fijian American on my biological dad's side, and then I'm second generation on my mom's side.
4: Hey everyone, I'm Kathy O. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I am located in Chicago, Illinois, originally from Southern California. I am a first generation Korean American. Hi everyone,
0: my name is Badiana Badio. I'm from Massachusetts, the East Coast. I am also first-generation Haitian-American. All right, so let's get this conversation started. First, I'd like to define what microaggressions are, just in case someone doesn't quite understand what it is. Microaggressions are the everyday verbal, nonverbal, and environmental slights, snubs, or insults, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative messages towards a target person based solely upon their marginalized group membership. So I want to have you share your experiences with microaggressions and your feelings towards everything that has been occurring and why this is an important topic.
3: My experiences with microaggressions, and especially living out here in, in Utah and different states, is it happens more frequently than people think that it may, and I don't think people realize that they're doing it as much as they are. Some of the ones that I've dealt with out here are based on, you know, just stereotypes and the lack of exposure to different cultures and communities and diversity out here. So I get, you know, I've gotten people that come up to me and say, "Hi, you're Indian, right? How come you don't have an accent?" And they just automatically think that anybody who looks like me is supposed to have an accent or is supposed to be an immigrant when I was born and raised in, you know, San Jose, California for the most of my life. And it's hard because at times they sit there and I'm like, I I it it irritates me in the moment, but I have to remember too, that what their exposure is and why they might say something like this. And so I just kind of think about that and explain it to them that I'm from California and I was born there. And usually that, that'll make them think for a minute. And hopefully later on, it helps them not make those types of (laughs) comments or ask those types of questions to other people that they meet.
4: I feel like I've had a really unique experience in terms of microaggression. So originally, I'm from Southern California, and I grew up in a town called Downey, which is about 10, what, 10 minutes outside of LA. And growing up there, when I was going in my school, there was not a lot of other Asian kids. It was never even something I noticed. All of my friends growing up were Hispanic. Race was never an issue. And then uh, when I was 13, my parents moved me to Brea, which is on the northern tip of Orange County. And it was a completely different experience, completely different background, you know, demographic makeup. So that was interesting for me because now all of a sudden there were a lot of Asian kids and I felt like I didn't fit in. But still growing up in Southern California, it's just so diverse. It's almost racism was just never really even an issue. Of course, microaggressions were always going on. I just didn't even have an eye. I just didn't even see it growing up. Where I really crashed into it was when I moved to Illinois. And when I first moved here, so my sister moved here about eight or nine years ago, and she grew up in Downey just like me. And she said, Well, hey, just so you know, when you come over here, it's still very segregated. And she said, You know, people aren't outright racist. You're not going to get attacked. No one's going to yell things at you. People will just treat you differently. And I said, oh, Whatever, Esther. Like it's, t- you know, it's 2019, 2018. It's, it's fine but I experienced it firsthand when I came and I go to a supermarket and I'm checking out and there's no, Hey, how are you? How are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, they're all They're awfully quiet. So we check out. I'm like, Oh, how much was it? We're doing that little back and forth. And the clerk says, you speak English really well. And I was like, yeah. And then it, for me, it didn't even click like why she would even say that. I was like, Oh, I said I'm I'm American. I was born in California. She's like, "Oh, that's why." Cuz I was going to say and I'm like again, it irritates, but I try to understand where they're coming from. It's totally possible maybe I'm the first Asian American this person has ever spoken to. And also, you know, being in a sales position when I meet with customers, I get a lot of questions. And it's very similar. They don't they don't know that they're being insensitive. They don't know that they're being rude. They're thinking, "Oh, Great, you speak great English, or hey, you're pretty cool. I didn't think that, you know, we would get along or things like that. And it's like, why why wouldn't I be? So it's these subtle things and possibly they were going on through my whole life. I just never realized it until it started becoming an issue. But then I just think, let me be the liaison, let me be the person to make it seem inclusive, give them an opening, give them an environment where they can be curious, get to know people. That was my real first experience with racial microaggressions moving here to Illinois.
3: Yeah, Utah, I don't know if people know a lot about Utah, but when I first moved here in 2012, it was 90% Caucasian and 90% Mormon for the religious background. So there was really no diversity at all. Most of the diversity that we found out here was Hispanic, and that was about it. Um, Salt Lake is a little bit better. So Utah's kind of divided by many counties, but the two main counties that people really talk about are Salt Lake County and Utah County, and it's divided by what we call the point of the mountain. Now, Salt Lake County, because it's a bigger city, is a little bit more diverse, and you, I don't notice as much of microaggressions or racism up there as I, as I do down here in Utah County where I live. Actually, when I first moved here, I was working for the Postal Service. I was the only brown person in the room. I was the only non white person in the room. It was, you know, a full five days of training. And during the training, like towards the end, she was directly staring at me and saying, You know, you're going to meet a lot of different people when you work for the Postal Service, especially when you're a carrier. And I never met my first black person until I was 12 years old. And I just stared at them because I thought that they were the most beautiful person, but I never had seen one until I was 12 years old, so I was staring at them. And that kind of gave me an idea of what I was going to be dealing with out here. And it kind of it frightened me at first because being from California, and you know, I had lived in several other states, Tennessee, Washington, and Massachusetts, but even in Tennessee, I was only one of three people who weren't white in my school, but there were still more, there was still more diversity there than there is here in Utah. There was here in Utah. So it kind of frightened me because I have a kid as well. So I was wondering about him and and kind of what I deal with. And and speaking specifically to microaggressions as well, I don't think people realize the nonverbal microaggressions that they do. Like if I'm walking in a store, if I'm walking in the mall, people will literally just stare at me And not smile or anything, right? Generally, I'm used to, you know, people, you lock eyes with somebody, you smile, you say hi, you wave, right? I would try to do that. And they would just kind of look at me like, who are you? Why are you here? You know, kind of frightened of me or not knowing what my intentions were. And so that's something I've dealt with my whole time here. It's getting better as time goes on because there's more diversity now as the tech industry is growing out here. But when I first moved here, it was quite frequent that people would just be, very apprehensive of me, at just walking down the street doing nothing or seeing me with my kid in the playground, right, and just keeping an eye out on me. That's an example of a nonverbal microaggression I feel that many people deal with, I think especially in, in the Black community and other communities as well as, you know, people of color and, you know, the Asian community now dealing with, with the COVID and stuff. They're also being looked at that way in the sense of, oh, you have a virus, you are the virus that's, you know, completely not true and just ridiculous to think about.
4: Microaggressions towards Asians do differ based off of your region. My experience was hard and fast with how different race was viewed here in the suburbs of Chicago. That's the other thing. Chicago, downtown, fun, vibrant, cultural, you know, big melting pot. 10 minutes outside of town, completely a different world. And so when I first moved here, I was in a sales position, and my job entailed going to people's homes and giving them consultations. There were always little microaggressions like, oh, oh, do you you want to take off your shoes? Should we take off our shoes? I'm like, this is your home. (laughs) You don't have to take off your shoes. You can do whatever you want. And there is always questions. You know, there there was always innocent questions, which, you know, I never had an issue with. But sometimes they would just outright say, well, like, let's say, for example, they're trying to get to know me. Well, are you married? You know, like, what do you think about Illinois? Oh, you're not married? Do you mind if I have ask how old you are you're 29 and you're not married your parents must be really mad about that one and it's just like you know or hey I've been I've I've been to Vietnam and this and that and I'm like I'm Korean it's hard to describe and I don't want to make excuses for anyone at the same time because my friends back home have asked as well hey what's it like and when we talk about this I found myself almost defending the people who gave me these microaggressions and I said, well, well, they just, you know, they're just curious or they don't know. And my friends were the first to call it like, hey, why are you excusing them? And I said, I don't know. If they said something rude or inappropriate, that's okay for you to say like, well, hey, what we prefer is this because, you know, we've been called, I've been called Oriental. And in regards to the term Oriental, there's a lot of confusion as to whether or not it's offensive. And it's an interesting word because the word itself is a bit antiquated. Personally, I only hear it you know, very rarely. It puts me on the spot when I do hear it. And I, I think it has to do with the fact that it's an old-timey word. In 2016, President Obama eliminated the word Oriental from federal law. So from that point of view, it's derogatory. If you personally ask, you know, me, Kathy, Oriental doesn't feel outright hateful or like a verbal assault. However, I think it's undeniable that it is a micro insult. This very seldomly used word instantly makes me feel foreign and ostracized. You know, I've been told by many people how great it is that I have an exotic look or that I look different. And of course, I embrace my heritage and my unique appearance. Someone could just as easily say that she's of Asian descent as opposed to saying she's Oriental. I think the issue I have with it is that it's it's antiquated. So it's almost like being called a term that I know was probably used in a less conscientious era where it you know most likely is used as a derogatory term
1: so i grew up maybe 20 minutes from where kathy did and it's funny our group was so diverse there weren't that many asian folks in my in my school but for some reason as i think back i think i was aware of that we all looked different but it it never really played a a part of it until I moved. It's funny, we moved away and then it became very predominantly Asian. So then I thought, oh, wow, everyone looks like me here. And all my friends now are Asian. And now that I am looking to, I have two young children, two and a half and a five-month-old, and we're looking to relocate. So as we're shopping for homes and I'm staying in the Los Angeles area, we're looking at demographic and I have to think through How do I want my kid to grow up? Do I want them to be the I want them to grow up in a diverse community? But just because you grow up in a diverse community doesn't mean like what does that really mean? Right. I just, I don't know if I want them to be the only Asian kid or if I want them to be with the majority. But it's those those I never thought I'd have to consider those type of types of things. And I also just think through the lens of a parent, how am I gonna teach my kids about this? Like how do you be respectful and sensitive? You can always be curious if you generally don't know, right? I mean, they're still young enough I, I don't have to figure it out all yet so looking for any advice
0: it's funny that you said that where my husband and i are, are family planning and it's literally all i can think about we just moved in the, to this house and it's this like farm town suburban area gorgeous we live on a lake we are two seconds away from the beach and then at the end of the day i'm like oh they would go to elementary school and be like me the only probably the only black person in their school. And then now I'm like, okay, what other charter schools are in the area? Cause I don't want them to have the experience I had, even though it wasn't terrible, but it was just like, I would love for them to be in a fire school environment where they saw other people that looked like them more than five other people, like maybe 10, 15%. <laughs> it's one of those things that you have to weigh out and juggle when you're considering parenting or are are a parent, like, how do you want to expose your child to diversity and like, what's the best way to go about it? But you also want them to have the best of the best, and the best of the best tends to always be in communities that are whitewashed. So finding that that balance.
3: Yeah, it's really interesting that you guys both bring this up because I currently own a mobile home and it's 90% 90% Hispanic in this neighborhood and that's why I decided to buy it to be honest with you is because it it had more diversity here than the rest of the city did initially when I first moved here. And so we're thinking about moving again because my son's going to be in middle school and then by the time he's in high school I want him to have a little bit more diversity and buy an actual house but I, that's one of the things I'm thinking about is do I move up towards Salt Lake more where there's a little bit more diversity or do I stay down here where the schools are a little bit better graded? And have him still continue to be one of the few Hispanics that are in his class or his school, right? As far as like teaching my kid about different cultures and different, you know, we I grew up learning about like Lunar New Year and Kwanzaa and Hanukkah and all these different holidays in elementary school in San Jose, right? But they didn't learn about all all that out here, so I make it a point at home to try to teach him all of this. My son has also dealt with his own bouts of you know my skin is dirty and all that kind of stuff in dealing with that. And it it wasn't easy because he was still like little at the time. But now because of everything he's been through, he is actually a very inclusive person and more very, very inclusive. Every teacher is like he includes everybody, even the more introverted ones. He's like, I love everybody no matter what, you know, no matter what they look like, no matter how they talk, no matter what. On one hand, yeah, it does make it a little bit harder, I feel, but at the same time, it it teaches them, I think, a little bit faster and, then, and makes them realize things that maybe you won't realize if you're not put in that position.
2: That really reminded me of, I think it was called Heritage Day at my own elementary school. I mentioned I've been in the San Francisco Bay Area my entire life. Even for college, I just stayed here. I stayed in place, and I've always thought it's, I've been so fortunate to get experiences like that and be in these communities where I definitely see people that I feel like they look like me. and So it's been really interesting hearing everybody's perspectives here so far on how their experiences have been different because I think I took for granted growing up that, oh, there are a lot of people around me that are also Asian. I think even my high school was, I don't know, a very large percentage was Asian. When I went to college, it was also known for having a lot of international exchange students and people from all over the states. So it just felt like a continuation of what I had been experiencing in terms of that cultural diversity. And that's actually why it's been so much, it's been so surprising, not entirely surprising, but still shocking in some ways to know about the incidents that have been happening, the hate crimes, even in the Bay Area, because this is where I grew up. And I really didn't think that sort of sentiment was so prevalent, even here. And so that part has, has just been heartbreaking. And when it comes to the microaggressions that I've also faced, actually, around the time that I graduated from school, and I kind of I've entered the workplace for the first time. So, for instance, I remember very vividly a moment when I was in Europe um, and I would get these comments for the first time, actually. Um, luckily, as an adult, but still not great to get questions like, Oh, where are you from? No, where are you really from? And then they would pull out these Chinese characters on their phone and be like, Hey, can you read this for me? What, you can't read this? are you really Chinese? And as someone who has already been struggling with feeling Chinese enough sometimes, uh, that didn't really help. (laughs) And I really admire, um, like for instance, Kathy and Ricky, you've mentioned before, like, oh, I would point this or that out to the folks who made these kinds of microaggressions. I think at least in the past, I didn't even know what was happening in the moment. I would brush it off or in my usual manner of dealing with discomfort, I would just laugh it off or laugh with the people and then try to move on. I think some of the other comments that I've I've heard in the past, um, especially when I was trying to gear up as a working adult finally um, would be like, oh, you look too Asian in that photo when I would try to select a photo for a professional event or something. That was very not specific in terms of feedback if it was with good intention i guess or like oh yeah you you look like you recently graduated from so and so school and so there would just be times from that period of time especially where i wouldn't really know what to think of these kinds of comments like oh do i look too young do i look too asian or I would even get comments like, oh, you should wear glasses as a female in the workplace. I guess somehow implying my appearance might be just, I I wouldn't be taking it seriously or I I didn't look smart enough. Those were the kinds of things that came to mind as I was trying to think about the periods of time um, in my life where I kind of started to experience microaggressions a lot more than I ever had. And I just feel lucky at least I didn't really encounter those when I was even younger. (laughs)
4: I've thought about that a lot recently, because I was thinking about my own childhood growing up and leading up until I was about 13, 14. Like I said, I grew up in a mostly Hispanic uh, neighborhood. All my best friends were either Mexican or El Salvadorian. And it's funny, because if I'm me, and I'm looking out into the world, I just see the world. I don't see the one Korean girl in a group of, you know, Hispanic kids. So it just never registered. But then, of course, even um, as kids. There's jokes, right? They'll do the slit eyes or like, oh, you know, Kathy with the sushi. I don't know, whatever whatever the tasteless jokes might be. And as a kid, I do remember laughing it off and there's an expectation that you can't take things personally, especially when you're a kid. And then you would just laugh it off. It's not that you accepted it, but it's almost like, defending yourself was making yourself more Asian. Like, hey, that's not okay to say that hurts my feelings, as opposed to saying like, yeah, yeah, I eat rice, you know. So sometimes I look back and I think, why, why, why did I do that? Should I have said something differently? But the one thing is I never had that conversation with my parents or my, my, my sister is seven years older than me. So she went through it before I did. She grew up in the same town. But when she was going to that same school seven years prior, she had Asian friends, but even her Asian friends, they all grew up again in a Hispanic community. So I was never kind of warned and in a weird way, I think this might be something that a lot of Asian Americans struggle with is the sense of pride in being Asian American. And it's not even until recently that I really started embracing my culture. Like, hey, I like my culture. I like that I have our language. I love our traditions. In the past, I just I just never accepted it. It just it wasn't even a thing. It was just like I'm American. This is me. I'm not Korean. I don't want to eat fish and rice for dinner again, you know? So so there was that struggle there. And I think about it again. So I was a chunky kid too. And when you're a chunky kid, you know, regardless of race, your family picks fun, your friends pick fun of you, you pick fun at each other. And in a way, it toughens you up, but at the same time, when you look back at all the damage that that probably did, poking fun at, your, you know, at the fat kid, now you know, I still deal with issues of self-image when it comes to my, you know, my weight and things like that. So then I have to think, how much hurt did I cause or how much hurt was there about my race? And now I am accepting of it. I embrace it. I do think back a lot, a lot and think, Could could that have been done differently? Should I have said something differently? Should I have had to have a different conversation with my parents?
0: So true, Kathy. We internalize that. When we're brushing it off, we're just like taking it and we're just absorbing it into our being. And that ends up having long-term effects on how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive other members in our community, and how we operate in the world.
1: Yeah, Natalie, when you were saying earlier how... you're uncomfortable and maybe you laugh it off i would almost take it one step further as i started getting older this is probably in high school and even recently till last year i didn't realize this but i think you're part of that conversation where it finally clicked to me i said wow i i actually make jokes about being asian so other people feel comfortable like i do it before they even can get to it i don't know if it's a defense mechanism or if i'm just trying to be make it seem like I'm I'm a cool agent like you can you can be open with me but I didn't even realize I was doing that till last year and who knows what else I'll realize I'm doing you know in in after even having this conversation but now I do realize those times where I didn't say something and I wish I did now at least if something it's funny now I'm ready for that opportunity I don't think anything's come my way so but if someone does say something I I will them and and with grace and and be nice about it as long as they're coming from a great a good place right i think that's the main thing if there's no ill intent that's that makes all the difference
3: yeah i think i think you hit it right right there with the ill intent right like because at home for me and my brothers and stuff and my friends we we poked fun at each other we joked with each other but it was it was you know, love towards one another, right? It was a way in my family that you show you loved one another was kind of like little picking on each other, not, not mean or, ill. you know, you didn't mean anything by it. It wasn't to make you feel bad, but I think sometimes that can get confused as well with, with microaggressions. It's different. I feel like it might be different if you have a certain rapport with somebody and you joke around with them, and it's not hurting their feelings, but if you don't know somebody, or if you're you're making comments just because, because it's something that you've heard before, and then if you're doing it without knowing it, just because you've heard other people say it to their friends, but even though there's a rapport there, so that's you know that's why they say it to one another, then you think it's okay for you to say something like that as well. That might be another. Person.
2: I think as you're all speaking to the importance of context, I'm starting to remember that there is a very much a pattern to the instances that I remember in my own life and that was that all of those microaggressions I remember were made by grown men while I was a young adult either in school or just getting into the workforce and I think that might explain some of the internalization that I also did experience or why I would laugh things off because I didn't feel like I was in that position of power or I needed to come across as more agreeable so that I can just move on, I, I suppose. And that's not okay. <laughs> I mean, beyond, beyond um, just remembering those kinds of things that had happened before, I do feel like they changed my behavior in certain ways. So for instance, I have this expectation in most meetings even, where, oh, I know I'm going to be interrupted. I know I'm just going to be steamrolled. Or I know I'm, I'm this thing I'm going to say is going to be dismissed just based on what had happened so much in the past. And so I might end up talking much faster so I can feel like, oh, I've contributed this little bit of value before they cut me off because I expect to be cut off. Or getting a lot of anxiety that I don't think I – I used to have when it comes to speaking up about, about most things, to be honest. I've been told countless times how, oh, Natalie, you're really quiet. You should speak up more. And I think that's a very valid piece of feedback, but at the same time, I feel like there is a bit of a cycle in which, okay, I'll do that. I do it. And then I feel like the outcome doesn't really work so much in my... Favor in terms of oh I do feel heard and so I might retreat back to how I how I was before which was oh I'll only speak up if I really really feel like this thing I'm gonna say is going to make a pretty big impact and so that's something that I I keep wrestling with which is how do I really contribute the most how do I make the biggest impact but also feel like I'm being respected. Like, I can't speak up and people do want to hear me.
4: That's a huge issue I deal with a lot too. I kind of go on the aggressive side. Like, let me show everyone how aggressive and how assertive and how bold I am, you know. And at the same time, it's like, no, you know, I I sometimes end these meetings and I'm like, just be yourself. Why did you have to act like you're into sports and you know all, you know, this honky-tonk stuff? Just, you know, just be yourself. But it's it's true, and I find myself I catch myself saying a lot of things, and then and then finishing it off by saying, "But well, I don't know, I don't know what you guys think." Like I, I don't know, maybe maybe that's just me, or maybe that's wrong, maybe I'm stupid or whatever. I I I find myself saying that a lot, or the same thing like Hillary was saying, almost preemptively, self deprecating to say like, "Hey, like let me do that for you." Let's say like we're we're talking about numbers, and I go, "I know I'm supposed to be good at math, but rada rada rada." I don't know why we do the, these things. We immediately recognize that we don't feel good about it afterwards. And like we said, we, we wish we can go back and have said things differently. But it, it starts with recognizing it and, and telling yourself it's okay that you did that. I functioned one way for the last 30 years. And to just move moving forward, you know, not to make excuses, not to self-deprecate, not to show other people that it's okay to stereotype.
1: Natalie, that like really struck home with me about getting that feedback in my professional, in my career, right? Oh, you're so quiet. You always, you have good things to say one-on-one, but like in a group setting, you don't, you don't say anything. I know you're thinking something. I, I think a lot of it has to do with culturally, you know, with growing up, my parents were telling me don't make waves, right? If just but you're just be a hard worker. Your work will speak for itself. Like it's kind of ingrained in you. Whereas now it's, Kathy, kind of like you were saying, I almost, I feel like every meeting I have to say something now just so they know like, hey, I, I'm here, I'm listening. I have important things to say. It's a, it's still a struggle day to day, right? But I think acknowledging it, like you were saying, Kathy, first of all, but then starting to find some comfort in just being yourself, I think is, is helping me I don't have to say something today if I don't want to or need to. There's no point. I've proven myself. There's just so many dynamics there. I, I think as a person of color, as a female, as as someone could say, I, I look like a younger person, right? Like, oh, because you Asians, like you look so young. You'll look like that till you're, you know, till you're 70. And so I feel like all of that comes into play.
3: Yeah, and I think, you know, people... Don't realize how much microaggressions do affect you and how much you do internalize it unless we do say something to let them know that this was a microaggression or that this does affect us and, you know, everybody in these ways. But it's not always easy to do that at first, right? It's, you don't like making people feel uncomfortable sometimes, you know, it, it's not always a practiced you know, something that you practice or you do on a normal basis, because especially at work where you're trying to keep everything as peaceful as possible and work with everybody as possible, right? So you may may be a little bit more apprehensive about making somebody uncomfortable and bringing it up. I learned in Utah, especially out here, if I worked before Sunrun, the majority of the workforce was white male. And everybody I worked with pretty much was a white male, from the engineers to the executives, except for like the technicians and the people that were working in California. And every time I p- apply for a company out here, I kind of take a look at what the company cultures and values are and kind of what the people are like. And I would say about half and half out here, you know, half of the time people were saying things that, they probably shouldn't have been saying but they were never corrected they were never told not to by by somebody who it did affect so they were maybe not aware of the fact that we internalize things and that it, you know it can cause decreased confidence and feeling excluded and causing mental stress physical stress emotional stress one of the things that i got was oh you're the diversity hire and being made to feel like i was the token diversity hire like i had worked for 2 years really hard to build everything that I built and sacrificed time with my kid and stuff. And then at the end of it, it was just like, oh, yeah, well, you're still around because, you know, you bring that diversity aspect to the company. I felt to me that was like a micro assault rather than, you know, a micro insult because it was literally trying to demean me just because of the way I look. Somebody had said to me, well, you can get a job anywhere because you're, you know, you're a person of color and a female, you're a minority woman. It's like, well, if I don't have the skills for something, that doesn't mean that I can just apply for it and get it. I'll go apply for a CEO position because I have no skills for it at the moment, but I'll do it because, because I'll get it because I'm a minority woman, right? Like, no, that's not the way it works. I later had a conversation with this person and was like, you know, I worked really hard to get to where I am. You know, I sacrificed a lot of time with my kid, a lot of time with everybody to get to work at this company and do what I needed to do to get things done. It's not because... I'm a minority female that I'm still here today. It's because of the hard work that I've done. You know, another thing, like Natalie was talking about speaking up and stuff. I completely internalized it. Okay. Am I, am I too quiet? And now am I too, am I too forward? Like, where's the balance? Where's the balance that you got to find within yourself to, to please this other person or, or, you know, to appease the feedback from this other person. There's
0: this saying that I think is truly accurate. It's, they say microaggressions is death by a thousand cuts. And when I read that, I felt that was particularly accurate because it's basically someone just picking away at you, picking away at you, picking away at you time and time again. And you just learn to either suppress it or a mental health issue comes of it, i.e. anxiety or stress that you can't manage or self-deprecating thoughts, choices, decisions, or even just not having the confidence to be your best self at work. So you're not getting passed over for opportunities that you definitely are, you should have, but you just, you've never been supported in a way where you could be the best version of yourself. A lot of the things that have been discussed today, all of the things that we internalize and then we have to, you know, we have to repair and we have to find balance and we have to make exceptions for so we can be a whole person to the people that matter in our lives and we can bring our best selves to whether it be work or as a parent or as a friend or as a significant other or a sister or
4: whatever the case may be. What's going on right now, the attacks against Asian Americans. We had our last meeting. I joined cuz I thought this is this hits close to home. This is happening where I'm from and when I was there, I was you know, I, I I feel emotion just like anyone else, and I thought I'm pretty composed. This is this is just what's going on. But I found myself getting really emotional, and I wanted to speak up a few times, and there I did finally after I felt like I composed myself. But how do we talk about this? It's it's interesting, and in, and especially in terms of everything that we're talking about today, I feel like the theme has been we all shared stories, we've all experienced it in one way or another, and then we all kind of ended it by saying looking back. We shouldn't have allowed it, but we did. And now we feel like moving forward, we have to almost set an example, let people know when it's not okay. And I think about this in terms of what's going on right now. So I've had, whether it was friends of mine, lifelong friends, or strangers sometimes that I meet, you know, I'm one of those people, I'll go to a bar and I can talk to every single person there. And if they have questions, I love to talk to people. And it was about a week ago, I was at a bar and someone asked, they were like, honey, just so you know, I think it's awful, everything that's going on right now. And, you know, uh, they were they were reaching out and my first instinct was to say hey you know what it, it yep it sucks but i'm good but then i thought well that's not the way, right way to answer this you know and there's a sense of responsibility that i feel in trying to figure out how we deal with the issue of microaggressions against the asian community and how this pertains to what's going on right now and it's, the the other thing that i've heard people say which you know, and I I think that they're trying to connect with me or something. And they'll say, like, I just, you know, these people are awful. I don't know why they're attacking these poor little, like, docile Asian grandmas and grandpas. You know, like, what did they ever do wrong? They don't do this. They don't do that. And it's like, well, again, that's not the issue. And, like, people have always said Asians are just so meek. You guys are, you know, you guys are laid back. How could you ever do that? But, again, it's like, why is... You know, I think about that. Why is that even a thing? And even in terms of our culture, so I'm, I'm Korean American and in Korean culture, there's those stereotypes. The Asian woman is this, Asian men are that. Asians in general, you know, just like Hillary was saying earlier, you're kind of raised to say, don't be braggadocious, don't be bold. You know, it's like every every time something like this gets brought up, it's not clear cut, just like, hey, thank you for your compassion. There's just always something there where it's like, oh, well, that's not quite right. Or like, I shouldn't say that, or I should say this. It's it, it's hard to address. Does anyone else feel like that?
1: I do. I'm trying to think through too, Kathy, because I struggle to find the words around it too. I had somebody ask me the other day, what can I do to help? And I said, well, just even you asking is helping or just acknowledging, right? But I think that's the thing is that we're in the thick of this and there isn't a simple answer, you know, this has been going on for a long time. Now it's just being brought to the forefront because of social media, because it's on the news, it's getting more attention. But this has been happening for a long time.
4: And it's weird. I had someone, you know, they reached out and same thing. You know, like, hey, it's awful what's going on right now. Anytime you got a problem, you call me, I'll come kick their ass. You know, I've never had a problem with Asians. You guys are all right. Something, something, something. And I was like, again, like, I don't know, just something's like not sitting right with me. One thing that I've heard, more recently is the whole issue of and especially with Asian Americans that when, when I've said in the past, like, Oh, I'm a person of color, they're like, Yeah, but are you really a person of color? You know, like, you're Asian, you're it's different. And I've, have, I've had people say Asian is like, white adjacent. sometimes like I get faced with the situation, and I just don't even know how to address it. And like we've said in the past, we laugh it off, we get uncomfortable. And it's those little things. I know those are the little seedlings that they might have the good intent, but what if they, again, say it to someone else who doesn't know how to have the good intent and they start spreading, you know, negative things?
0: What would you want them to say? What response would make you feel more comfortable and not feel like this is so uncomfortable or awkward or this is not I'm, this doesn't sit right?
4: Usually when those kind of comments come up, it's, it's usually people who are Caucasian or white, right? And I almost feel like they said it in a way to say like, hey, you're cool, you're with us. But it's like, what, you know, and again, being out here in Illinois, in the suburbs, it's there's, you know, Illinois is a democratic state. However, a lot in the suburbs, there's a lot of conservatives. And hey, I'm friends with everyone. I don't really talk politics with, you know, a lot of people. But they've said things like that, especially when race has been a big topic in this last year. And it's, this past year where, where I was hearing comments like that, like, hey, I've always been cool with Asians, or Asians are all right, I like Asians. But it's just like, why why is that a thing? What what do I wish they would have said? I wish that wasn't even a thing. Like I said, when I was a kid, me looking out with my eyes into the world, it's just the world. I don't see what they see back the one Asian kid amongst everyone else. So it's the, it's times like that. It's like, oh, you see me as different. You see me as an outlier. And that's, that's when I feel ostracized. Otherwise, again, being from Southern California, race was never a negative thing or something to even have to point out like that. Like, Hey, you're cool with us. I
0: Totally understand what you're saying, Kathy, in the sense that the way that they're empathizing with you is literally implying that you're an outsider.
4: You know what? The strangest thing that happens so often is when I, I don't have any kids. My sister has two kids. They're almost three, almost four. Whenever we go out, there's always strangers who walk up and say, oh my gosh, I think Asian babies are the cutest. I wish I had an Asian baby. I know they think it's supposed to be a compliment and thank you. And I say thank you. But it's just the weirdest thing, like, without a doubt, every time it happens. And it's that same thing. It's like saying, hey, like, we're okay with you. It makes me feel different. And they don't realize it.
1: I get that all the time. Your kids are so cute. Asian babies are the cutest. you're like... Oh, I didn't, they're just a baby to me, but you know, thanks.
4: <laughs> Having this conversation was pretty eye opening. We deal with a lot. The more that I reflect back, like probably once a week, there's something that happens. The more out in the world I am, there's something that happens that makes me realize hey, you're Asian, you're different, you're Asian.
0: Do you have any suggestions for anyone outside of your community on how to show allyship in a way that? you receive positively.
4: You know, I embrace and I welcome anyone who has questions. And it's tricky because language is is so volatile. There could be one way that you ask the same question where it's offensive and another way where they're just curious and I love it. So for example, like the example that I use is if someone were to ask me like, hey, like I've heard all, all about Korean barbecue. What do I get if I go to a Korean restaurant? That is no problem. I'm like, Hey, I got you. I'll hook you up. I'll tell you exactly what to get. Let me show you, you know, how to eat. That's not a problem. Any allies or anyone who's curious about our heritage and culture questions are absolutely fine. If they're curious, they don't have to have a preamble to ask a question and they don't have to address the heritage. Be conscientious of what you ask, how you ask. It goes for any background.
1: Yeah, I think it's like, it all matters going back to what we were talking about earlier, the intent, right? Like coming from a genuine place, it all, it's all in the the delivery. There's a difference between being outraged for you versus being outraged with you as an ally. I'm finding hard to, to like really define exactly what that looks like, but I think it just, it's in the moment, it's, it's how it's delivered. It's your relationship with that person. It's So it's a lot of, a lot of different things. I think now it's just more than ever, if people can just take actions, I think that speaks louder than any words that they can say. Checking on their elders or people who might be in danger or even just reposting something online that could bring awareness or help somebody is, are things that people can do as well.
3: I think one thing people can make sure of too is if you are hearing things, if you if you're seeing what could be a microaggression, or you see friends capping on each other and stuff, please remember the relationship between those people and not just adopt what you hear and repeat it. Because it may not come across the same way to a- another person when you say it to somebody else as opposed to the way that you heard it between friends or whatever context you had heard it in. And then even nonverbal microaggressions, instead of just staring wide-eyed at somebody or you know something like that, a simple smile, in a way, when you lock eyes with somebody, can make someone else feel welcome.
2: One thing that was coming to mind, based on what Kathy and Hillary were saying around others trying to offer support and allyship to the Asian community, or even just trying to get to know somebody in, for instance, a dating context, really little things that I might emphasize is, like Kathy was saying as well, questions over statements. So for instance, oh, I've been to China. Okay, great. What about that? <laughs> Is kind of what my response would be. <laughs> and then there's not much follow-up. And so it doesn't make for great dialogue. And it's more like an act of trying to show, oh, yeah, I, I jive with you. But also not enough to ask more questions. <laughs> I think people don't usually say something as simple as oh i've been to china but kind of variations of that where it's like all right what do do you want to talk about that or no like it's it's kind of hard to gauge sometimes and does help when we cultivate that greater sense of oh you're you're curious and and you want to know a little bit more or there is that openness to hearing more of maybe my background or something like that little things like that might also help
4: so when you know, the hashtag and the movement started, I don't know how I felt about it. This was the first time where I felt like, oh, like, am I in a group that needs to be protected? And this might not be the right way to think. But because I remember, you know, my mom, so now she came from Korea when she was in her early 20s, and she's been here longer than she's been in Korea. So she does have the insecurities like she, is conscientious when that she has an accent and so certain things she'll have me take care of it. and i go like mom you do it you know what to say you do it and if she would say something like oh i think that guy said something and me being me i'm be like what who said what you know like who, who like point him out to me and that there was this part of me that was always just like that's outrageous now that i see that this is happening and and, and the worst is when you see it happening you see that footage Someone someone attacks an Asian elderly person and no one does anything that one that's when I realized that the movement matters that's when I realized that people see it but when I see that people aren't jumping in or protecting or like the one video where the security guards closed the doors of what was at the hotel as someone was being attacked right in front of them that's when I realized Maybe if that person realized that this is a problem, that this is a widespread issue, might have it been handled differently. I've never thought about this before. I appreciate the movement. I think it is needed. It shocked me at first because I was like, I don't know. I, I, maybe I just thought it was tough and like these things don't happen to me, but it's happening.
3: Coming from the Indian side. So, you know, I'm not getting a lot of the slurs at the moment. I can see what you're going through and I empathize it and I want to be there to be an ally and help as much as I can, right? I feel like it's more generated towards other Asians, not the Indians at the moment. Like, I, I feel like I don't want to step out of turn either and say something that may not be how you guys feel. I want you guys to be, to be the ones to to really talk about how it's affecting you guys right now.
0: Ricky, have you experienced anything like it in the past?
3: Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, with September 11th, you know, people... Thought every brown person was a radical Muslim, and we had to deal with everything. You know, like my, my protecting our own, our elders, like my grandmother and stuff, when they went out. You know, people would stand six feet behind us at grocery stores. As another, <laughs> that was another microaggression, nonverbal, right? Like where usually people are like two two feet behind you. They were standing really far back. You know, people. My name was always random at the uh, at the airport for a while for many years afterwards and people were getting assaulted all the time you know Sikhs and and Indians and Muslims alike and it was um it was tough it was tough to deal with and it was there was a lot of mixed emotions there was a you know a lot of people who were scared of us a lot of people who tried to support us I was younger at the time you know I was like in middle school high school at the time but uh I don't know. I didn't always handle everything the best back then, but I felt like the more support that I did have, or the more people did come out and say that, you know, they didn't agree with what was going on and they're sorry or they apologized or or they, you know, they felt bad. For me, I guess it 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 made me feel a little bit better about society and human beings as a whole. It served as a reminder that not everybody is this way. I guess sometimes yeah, it could have felt like it was just the hot thing to do in the moment and that it was just, yeah, let's just join in on this because everybody else is doing it and then kind of faded away and then those people faded away too. So you really have to kind of go through and, and see who's genuine and who's not and not just you know trying to be part of a hot topic or you know be relevant in the moment. I, I never found a good way myself, honestly, to differentiate those people besides like Literally what their actions said. To me, actions speak louder than words. If you're saying that you, you empathize and that you're, they're going to be there or you want to be an ally or so, you know, your actions speak a lot louder than words a lot of the time too. You know, how are you being an ally? Are you standing up for people who have to deal with this when you see it? Are you trying to be there for those people after anything happens? If anything happens, reaching out in groups, trying to educate other people on what. The rumors are and the myths are as opposed to what facts are.
2: I think the personal impact that the stop the API hate movement has had on me has been, I feel like I empathize better with my parents. I think my friend had put it nicely when he said. Oh, all those things that my parents told me growing up about, be careful about this or that. I'm now saying those same things back to them. And that's kind of what has been happening. What I've been seeing has been happening a lot among close friends and just in the broader community. And it's unfortunate that it has to be that way. But at the same time, I am glad that there is more discussion around how... This isn't new, the hate crimes or the sentiment behind them, even. And it seems like, at least in my circles, there has been a sort of spike in the bringing up of the history of America, essentially, all the things that we kind of learned in the textbooks, but there was maybe one page on it. And so it's been nice to see that there's been more dialogue around that just in general. Although I would say that I've seen it mostly happen, those kinds of discussions happen within the API circles that I'm a part of, but it is nice to see that we are trying to move forward together and raise that awareness overall and try to find different solutions to getting that awareness and making sure that we're doing that judiciously. I'm still also trying to gather my thoughts around what's been happening. The thing that really sticks in my mind just around these hate crimes is every time I see those videos or those photos, it really could be my own grandmother, for instance. And it's not saying that other photos, other videos of these kinds of things happening in other communities are not as terrible, but just seeing that, and like Kathy was mentioning, how there's usually not really help coming to the scene during the incident, or even after
1: sometimes, it is really heart-wrenching. Anti-Asian violence continues to be an everyday reality
0: for the Asian American Pacific Islander community. There has been several reported cases in the last year since the start of the pandemic. And this conversation is meant to bring awareness, help normalize having these conversations amongst allies, friendships, families. We need to talk about these issues. We need to talk about microaggressions. We need to talk about our experiences. That's the only way that we're gonna bring awareness to people that are outside of the community and make real change thank you so much to our panelists you've been phenomenal thank you for your honesty and your transparency and uh, thank you for tuning in